We're on our, our journey through Ezra and Nehemiah, and we are going to be in Ezra, or I'm sorry, in Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2 today. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Nehemiah chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. The words of Scripture will be up on the screen. You can follow along there. Let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. <clears throat> now, it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came to me with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive to your, and, and your eyes open and to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that, command, that you commanded your servant Moses. <clears throat> Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the outermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to, to place to that place. I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. <clears throat> in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? <clears throat> so it pleased the king to send me. And when I had given him a time... And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates and the fortress of the temple <clears throat> and for the walls of the city for the house I, and for the house I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. 
Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. And the king had sent me to the officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sinbalat and the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and I was there three days. Then I arose in the night and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put onto my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. And I went by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down, and its gates had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went in the night by the valley and inspected the wall and turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with the gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sinbalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Bow with me for a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we've been able to hear it this morning. We pray that as we enter into our time of worship, uh, of hearing your word, that you would also convict us and challenge us and, and, and strive in us to do your word as well. To take the word that we hear today and, and to, to do something with it, to apply it to our lives and to take action. Father, we, we ask that as we enter into this time that you would speak through me uh, in spite of who I am and, and what, what is in, my, <clears throat> in me as well, that you would continue to just bless us as we seek to honor and glorify you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I've been noticing as I study more uh, that I should have heeded the words of my eye doctor as he's he's offered me this last trip um, a chance to get some bifocals. And I said, no, 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 I'll be all right. But then as I notice as I hold my Bible up, I can't read it with my glasses and I have to take them off. And last night I was trying to figure out, we had some gift cards we found. I'm trying to figure out how much on each gift card and had my glasses off, had the things here, couldn't focus them. It was... I apologize, Dr. Cunningham. I should have heeded your advice, should have taken those progressives when I had the chance. But there we go. Hey, we are in the book of Nehemiah, and we are beginning Nehemiah. And, and what's neat about the beginning of the book of Nehemiah is it's really the beginning of Act 3 of the Ezra-Nehemiah journey, the Ezra-Nehemiah story. The setting in Nehemiah is, is right at 13 years after Ezra had led his wave of Israelites out of the exile back to Judah and Jerusalem, uh, making this the third wave of exiles to return. Remember, the very first wave um, was with Zerubbabel and Jeshua, 
Then some time had passed, and now we're at Ezra leading a group of folks, and then 13 years have passed, and now Nehemiah is leading a group. And what we need to think about is, is as we read this passage, what we're going to see here is, is, is Nehemiah's personal character and, and his integrity, right? His character and his integrity are grounded in his knowledge and devotion to the Word of God. And this knowledge and devotion to the Scriptures assures him of God's promises. Nehemiah's knowledge of the Word of God it gives him this boldness necessary to lead others in a tough and arduous situation that he's about to approach. And as we open up in chapter 1 in verses 2 and 3, we see this report from Hanani about the walls of Jerusalem. And the walls are not just in disrepair and broken down. This is, they're really kind of beyond disrepair, right? They, it, Jerusalem is basically still a rubble heap. Even after Zerubbabel and Jeshua led a group of people there and they were to rebuild the temple and to start rebuilding Jerusalem, even after Ezra has gone and he has started to rebuild there, Jerusalem is still just a rubble heap. And we don't really know why. This could have been from the initial attacks uh, that happened when the folks were carried off into the exile. This could have been the time that Artaxerxes halted all the work in Jerusalem back in Ezra chapter 4. Either way, this is a desecration in Jerusalem, right? This is supposed to be Jerusalem being rebuilt, but it's a desecration in Jerusalem, and that breaks Nehemiah's heart, knowing that Jerusalem, the city of his God, is in this condition. And Jerusalem being in this condition is shameful, right? This is the city of God. This is, this is the, where the temple is. This is, this is where God dwells with his people. And, and I'm sure as we see Nehemiah then going into mourning in, chapter, or in verse 4 of chapter 1, he goes into this mourning and this weeping and this fasting because he feels the shame of Jerusalem. And he feels like it's also a shame on God. Not a shame like on him, but a shame to him. Right? Nehemiah reacts very similarly to how we see Ezra reacting to the people's sin back in Ezra chapter 9. Ezra was appalled by what the people had done, and it seems like Nehemiah here may also be appalled by the failure of the walls to be reconstructed properly. And he goes into this time of fasting and prayer. But he doesn't just mourn and weep and fast. He's in this time of prayer, right? He's going into prayer. And in this first part of his prayer, he entreats God by recognizing some of God's characteristics. God is God of heaven. He is awesome and great. God is the keeper of covenants and loves those who love him and keep his commandments. And as Nehemiah is praying, he's, he's bringing really reminiscent of the covenant Moses, or, or the covenant that God made with Israel through Moses back in Deuteronomy. This steadfast and enduring love that Nehemiah prays about is this quality of God's quality, or is this is a quality of God's character and and how he behaves towards Israel because of the covenant. The covenant requires Israel to be faithful and love him and him alone. And the people show that they love God and God alone by keeping his word and following his laws. And as Nehemiah continues in prayer, he again, like Ezra, confesses the sins of the people of Israel. And he confesses the past sins of Israel 
and he confesses his and his family's sins. Now, it's interesting. Nehemiah, who is, who is a servant of the king, left in Susa, right in the citadel, has nothing to do with what's happening right now in Jerusalem. But he himself is confessing his sins and the sins of his father's line and lumping them into what has happened in Jerusalem, right? He, he focuses that, and he talks about it, but then he focuses his prayer on the confession of sins of Israel that brought them to this situation, right? He, he, he does. He turns it so that he's like, God, our sins have made us this. They have brought us to being exiles. They have brought the walls of Jerusalem tumbling down. We recognize that this is our sin that has done that. And as he prays, he remembers what Solomon prayed at the dedication of the first temple way back in 1 Kings chapter 8. And he refers to himself and Israel as servants of God. And this is a big deal because for him to say that he was a servant of God, but also a very close servant to King Artaxerxes, says something about Nehemiah's character too. That as Nehemiah prays this way, he acknowledges God as the true Lord and true God and the true ruler over Israel. That as many foreign armies may occupy Jerusalem, as many foreign armies may occupy Israel, God is still God. And he is in charge of all of those things. He continues to pray, and as he prays, Nehemiah uses the word remember. Now, this is a common word used in prayers of the Old Testament. Moses used this word when he asked God to remember his promise, uh, his promises when Israel was suffering judgment due to their sin, way back in Exodus 22, then again in Deuteronomy 9. Those are a couple times that Moses uses that remember phrase. This doesn't imply that God forgets his word. I, I need folks to understand that, that that's, that's not what's happening here. When, when we see an Old Testament prophet or an Old Testament Priests pray the words, remember, Lord, or remember God. That's not about God forgetting anything. He doesn't forget his word. He doesn't forget his people. He doesn't forget his promises. That's not what God does. It's more of a request that God react to his people favorably according to his covenant and according to their repentance. And Nehemiah is asking just that. He is appealing to God. He's appealing to God's old promises, older than his era, right? Going back to Moses, going back to the Exodus. He's appealing to God's old promises that if the people of Israel repented, he, the Lord God of Israel, would restore them to the land he, God, had given them, and he, God, would restore their fortunes as well. And this restoration has started under Zerubbabel. It started under Ezra, but it's incomplete because Jerusalem's not secure, and Nehemiah sees that. This is the place where God is to dwell with his people. And Nehemiah desires that. <clears throat> he wants to see the kingdom of God here on earth. And as he closes out his prayer in verse 11, he makes a reference to Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. A fool despise, fools despise wisdom and instruction. As Proverbs 1.7 says, Fearing God's name is the same as fearing God here. Because the name of God represents God's full character. Nehemiah knows that God moves very powerful people to fulfill his will. But Nehemiah also knows that Artaxerxes has commanded work in Jerusalem to stop before. We go back to Ezra chapter 4 to see that. 
Right? It's weird to think that Nehemiah was alive while Ezra was doing these things. There may have been letters passed back and forth between them. We, we don't really know. Scripture's kind of silent on that. But we do know that Nehemiah knows what's supposed to be happening in Jerusalem. That's why he's so disturbed by the report from Hanani that it's not. And as Nehemiah asks God to grant him success before Artaxerxes, he knows he's literally placing his life in God's hands. He's the cupbearer of the king. The cupbearer of the king is, is, is an important role in these times. And, and it's going to be important for us to, to see how that relationship works. But before we head into chapter 2 to talk about his interactions with King Artaxerxes, I want us to notice some things here. Nehemiah knows that Jerusalem is representative of the kingdom of God. Right? And he's passionate about the kingdom of God. Maybe because his position um, as Artaxerxes' cupbearer, he was prohibited from returning from the exile with Ezra. It looks like he has to ask permission when we get to chapter 2 about that. That's possibly the case. But he longs for Jerusalem. Now understand something. Nehemiah has probably never in his life seen Jerusalem. But it's home. And he longs for home. Christians, we have never seen heaven. But it is home. And we should long for home. Nehemiah longs for home he has not yet seen. And we should do the same. He longs for Jerusalem and and he desires to see the promises of God fulfilled. And while he's in exile, Nehemiah is living out the less than favorable promises of God. He's living out the consequences of sin that somebody else did. He's, He's in there, but he longs to see the favorable promises that he has read about in the scriptures. Oh, for us to long for that to long for the coming of Jesus, to long for the return of our King, to long for the new Jerusalem and the new earth, to long for all things made new. We should long for the favorable promises we have read about in Scripture. And Nehemiah pours out such such an emotional prayer because he knows the Bible and he knows the promises of God. He wants to see God's kingdom. For him, that was, that was represented in Jerusalem. For us, that's the body of Christ and believers all over the world. We should weep and grieve and mourn and turn to Scripture whenever we see something that damages the witness of the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, we do much of our own sinning that damages the witness of the kingdom of God. And we should weep and mourn and grieve that. We should desire desire to see the kingdom of God advance and to grow. But we should not mourn like there's no hope. I, I love that. That when we see Nehemiah mourning here, he's not mourning as if there's no hope. He knows there's hope. And he's placing his hope in God. And our hope is in Jesus Christ, our King, who will build his kingdom. Place our hope there. And as we seek the kingdom of God, we should desire the strength of character we see Nehemiah has as he faces a desperate situation he's in. What gave him that strength of character? What was it in Nehemiah that said, you can do this? 
Well, it was he spent time in the Word and he spent time in prayer. Nehemiah was a busy man in the service of the king of Persia, but he wanted to spend time in the Word and he wanted to spend time in prayer. He wanted that. And he made it a priority. See, if we desire the things of God, we must spend time in the Word of God. If we desire the things of God, we must Spend time in prayer with God. And the two work hand in hand, together. We speak to God and we give Him our petitions in prayer and He speaks to us through His holy scriptures. And Nehemiah spends quality time doing just that. Spending time praying. Spending time reading scripture. And his prayers focus on one thing, rebuilding the wall. Rebuilding Jerusalem, bringing glory and honor to God through the city of Jerusalem. And and he spends some time doing it. He spends about four to five months praying and studying and seeking God in this. And he's going all about his daily business, but he's carved out time to focus on this need. And all the while, he's not just praying and reading scripture. He's developing a plan of action. He didn't use prayer as as an excuse to be inactive like many of us do. No, he's making plans. Now, I I know we've all kind of heard the phrase, man makes plans and God laughs, or something to that effect often. It kind of hints that God's plans are not our plans. Okay, I I can go with that. God's plans are often not our plans. But it also kind of implies that God will wreck your plans. That's not necessarily the case every time. God will change our lives and God will change the plans we make. But God will also honor the sanctified decision making that we have. What do I mean by sanctified decision making? Let's think about this a second. Nehemiah spent time in the Word and he spent time in prayer. And as he's spending time in the Word and he's spending time in prayer, he's gaining wisdom from Scripture. And that wisdom from Scripture, he then uses to make his plan. God, through that time that Nehemiah took to sanctify himself, guided Nehemiah's decision-making process. This applies to you and I today. Sure, if we haphazardly devise a plan and say that it's in the name of God, I would hope that God would laugh and cause us to have to change that. Our God is not a haphazard God, and He doesn't want haphazard followers. But if we take the time to truly consult the Word, seek God's wisdom from it, and ask God to direct our plan, He will honor what we do. So Nehemiah has a plan in place and he has waited for God to provide him with the right opportunity to ask Artaxerxes to enact that plan. And in chapter 2, verse 2, God gives Nehemiah that opportunity. Artaxerxes sees some deep sadness in Nehemiah. And this could have been a very dangerous situation for Nehemiah, right? He says, I was afraid. Oh boy, right? I am the cupbearer of the king. See, and as cupbearer, he's got this very close personal contact to the king. 
He's, he's a very highly trusted official. Cupbearers often, even though it's kind of considered a lowly job maybe, are often more trusted than some of the king's direct advisors. Why are the cupbearers so trusted? Well, they're the first line of defense against an assassination attempt by poisoning. Nehemiah samples every bit of food, every bit of drink, everything that comes before the king. And for him to be sad in the king's presence indicates to the king something has gone horribly wrong. And when he asked why he is sad, Nehemiah respectfully pours his heart out before Artaxerxes and tells the king of his heart to see Jerusalem restored. And he was afraid. And he should have been. And he just tells him, why should I not be afraid? Why should I not be sad? Look at what's happened. And he he just pours it out. And then the king asks in verse 4, what is your request? Nehemiah says a quick prayer. And I think it had to be something like this in his head. Okay, thank you, God, for this opportunity to present my plan before the king. Um, Please make my words be heard. Um, Let them not sound foolish. Uh, Let me honor you as I do this. Thanks, God. It had to be something like that in his head because Artaxerxes could have had literally run, could have literally had Nehemiah run through with a sword in this exact moment. There was no reason for him to to do any of this other than the hand of God was on Nehemiah at this time. And so after this quick silent prayer, Nehemiah lays out his request and his plan before the king. And Artaxerxes is agreeable. Then Nehemiah, through the spirit, feels a little emboldened now and he asks for some more. He asks for soldiers to protect his envoy. He asks for letters of travel. He asks for work permits and construction permits. And God moved in Artaxerxes to grant Nehemiah all that he requested. Now let's let's think about some things here for a second. In verse 6, Nehemiah is able to give the king a timeline for his journey and the rebuilding of the wall. In verse 7, Nehemiah knows what papers of authorization he needs and he asks for them. And in verse 8, he has a detailed materials list for all the work he's planning to do. He's not trapped in the bureaucracy. He's figured it out. It's very clear that Nehemiah has been using his time in prayer and study to plan. Now this should be an encouragement for you and I to do the exact same. Nehemiah wants to be used by God. And if you truly, truly, truly desire to be used by God, study the word. Study the word. And when you pray, ask God to do what he has promised to do in the scripture that you've studied. Then give thought and make plans for how God will use you for the growth of his kingdom. And ask him to do that. See, Nehemiah prayed. He made plans and preparations. And God honored those plans and preparations. And God was using Nehemiah to honor and glorify him. But there's still opposition. Sambalat and Tobiah are displeased that someone is seeking the welfare of Israel. Pay attention to those names. 
They're going to show up again. There's some foreshadowing here. See, but understand something, that, that we can pray and we can plan and we can prep. And we can be assured that God is honoring those prayers, those plans, and those preparations. But there still may be opposition. That doesn't mean that we are going against God. Just because there's opposition doesn't mean that we are going against God. It just means people oppose the work of God. And it should mean for us to persevere and push on. And we should continue to seek God through His Word and grow close to Him through study and through prayer. And after three days of settling in, Nehemiah then heads out at night to survey the destruction of the walls of Jerusalem himself. And I kind of wondered about this. I pondered, why, why at night? Well, when do attackers like to come? At night. Nehemiah is looking probably for those holes and those openings, those gaps. Well, they're all over the place, and he can tell. And the path that he describes here indicates that the walls are so badly destroyed that he couldn't even make a complete circuit around the city of Jerusalem because there was so much rubble in the way. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem, he says in verse 12. See, see, when we read that verse 12, it, it shows us more about the time Nehemiah spent in prayer and preparation. He is genuinely assured that God has given him these plans. That Nehemiah understood God's will through the reading of Scripture and prayer, and now he's acting on that. He's also going to be leading people to do the will of God. You see in verse 16, I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Well, this is the vision that God has given, granted to Nehemiah and given him. He is not seeking to accomplish the task on his own. He knows that this is a God-sized task for God's people and that God will use his people to accomplish it. And Nehemiah wants to see God's kingdom and he wants others to see it. And he will recruit the people of God to do God's work. See, God's name and reputation are at stake here because of the condition at Jerusalem. If Jerusalem is in rubble, then the name and reputation of God is likewise in rubble. And if the name of God is in rubble to the world watching, this is what is compelling Nehemiah to act. See, today it's not necessarily God's name at stake because of a, a city or a wall or a gate or anything like that. God's name is at stake because of the lives of those who claim Christ. So we are the new temple of the Holy Spirit. Our walls may need to be rebuilt. If you're a follower of Christ, I'm going to ask you some things. I want you to really think about these. As the temple of the Holy Spirit, do people know that you're a Christian by your love? As the temple of the Holy Spirit, do people see the gospel lived throughout your marriage? As the temple of the Holy Spirit, do people see you live in a way that is, that is willing to lay down your life for your friends? See, we need to rebuild our walls and temples so that we may no longer be a disgrace. 
We need to take in that prayer of Nehemiah and even add ourselves to that as he said. We know we have sinned and we know that you have have done great things and we know that your promises come to those who repent. We need that prayer. Maybe, maybe you're not a believer, but maybe you feel like the gates of your life have been burned down and that everything around you is a pile of rubble. Nehemiah understood this, and I I want you to understand this as well, that God is in the rebuilding business. That's what our God does. God loves his creation, right? He loves those that he's created. He made man in his own image, made humankind in his own image, and he loves us even though we have sinned against him. And God loves us even through the consequences of the sin. And because of that love, God the Father sent Jesus the Son so that we may be made new. See, Jesus willingly paid the price for our sin and he went to the cross. He bore the wrath we deserve for our sin. Jesus did this all willingly so that those who call upon his name place their trust in him and follow him will be saved from the righteous anger of God and that they may have a right relationship with God through Jesus. See, when we repent and follow Christ wholeheartedly, when we wholeheartedly surrender our lives to him, we can say those things that that Nehemiah said in verse 18. The hand of my God has been upon me for good. We will want to strengthen our hands to work together, to work, to do the work of the gospel. And when opposition arrives, God will prosper us for his work, for the sake of the gospel and for his kingdom's sake, because we are his servants. Those who love God study his word. Those who love God do all they can to spread the gospel. And those who love God will encourage others to study his word and spread the gospel as well. To know God and God's will, we must spend time in God's word. When we spend time in God's word, we will use his wisdom to make decisions and plans. Because we have spent time with the Lord and the way he will guide our thoughts toward him and his will, he will prosper the work that we do. Study his word. Spread the gospel. Encourage others to do those 